Hello and welcome. I'm Ashley McKim, Editor-in-Chief of BMJ Innovations, and I'm here at the World Innovation Summit for Health in Doha. And I've got the pleasure of being joined by two of the shortlisted innovation competition winners. Before we speak to them, I want to introduce Mahmoud Alachi, who is uh, heading up the innovation programme at WISH. Mahmoud, good to see you. Thank you, Ashley. Good to see you too. Can you tell us a little bit about the competition this year and uh, what the process was? So uh, we have two uh, tracks, two competitions, one for early stage startups, which is Spark, hence the name. It's the, the spark of everything. Uh, and then we have the booster, which is more about startup who are looking for uh, to scale up and reach out to new market and new c- customer. Um, so we, we open up, uh, we do a call to action to uh, receive application from all over the world. And we have a judging committee who look out um, onto those or the eva- evaluate all those applications. And then we short them to the top 20 where we bring them to Doha to showcase their startups to healthcare leaders, health ministers, policymakers, investors, and try to help them to move on to the next step. Wonderful. Well, it's been great to see all the entrepreneurs and innovators here over the last couple of days. And I want to bring in our, our, our two uh, uh, guests, first of all. So let's bring in Nicholas, first of all. Nicholas, you are founder of uh, Neurosoft Bioelectronics. Tell us a bit about what that is and how you got to where you are at the minute. Yeah, thank you for the introduction. So um, I'm an engineer in background in microelectronics. And uh, actually, it started with a kind of a high school dream at 15 years ago to kind of merge electronics with medicine, which sounds pretty obvious now, but was a bit less uh, 15 years ago. And so this is what motivated me to start my studies and to really go into this field of uh, neural interfaces, which is what Neurosoft is about. So in a nutshell, what we develop is uh, interfaces with the brain. Uh, these are electrodes that can that are invasive, that go on the surface of the brain, so they require neurosurgery. And the goal is to address severe neurological disorders that require uh, such uh, invasive procedures. And so these devices can be used to either record activity from the brain or to send electrical pulses to activate neurons. And so this can be used in multiple different type of cases where you can monitor, diagnose or treat neurological disorders. Great. Well, good to have you with us. We'll come back to a couple of questions in a second, but let me introduce uh, Yashir. Yashir, you are uh, one of the co-founders of Smiletronics. Uh, tell us a bit about Smiletronics and how you got to where you are. Ashley, thank you for having me here. Um, Smiletronics is a home dental checkup tracking intelligence solution. Um, we have an app that you can take photos of your teeth and then we use artificial intelligence, so machine learning and computer vision, to give you a hygiene report, a health report, and then trackability. Um, think of it as a Fitbit for your mouth. You can see different information, get um, a score, um, and then take action to prevent problems or catch them earlier when they're cheaper to treat and less painful. For us, it's about um, prevention and detection and accessibility to care as well. Um, the idea came about to me during my MBA studies. I hadn't been to a dentist for about 10 months. I'm brushing my teeth and I've got sensitivity to my gums. But at the same time, I'm applying for internships, I've got class projects to do, and everything else that goes on when you're studying. Um, and I don't speak, I was in, living in Spain at the time and I didn't speak Spanish, I needed an English speaking dentist. So I was like, can my phone tell me? And that was the spark of the idea. Um, looked around, there's nothing out there. There's teledentist, telehealth for other areas, but nothing for teeth. Um, and ended up doing this as a class project and eventually evolved into a business that we launched. Fantastic. 
fantastic. So like this week, it's been fantastic to hear people from very many different disciplines who have taken their ideas forward and great to see how far they've progressed. You've come from very different backgrounds and gone into the entrepreneurial world, which is often very tough. Nicholas, you've come from academia. Um, tell us a bit about the challenges and how you, you overcame some of the challenges in starting up a, a, a business, a small enterprise. Yeah, the, the main problem is I was an engineer and I knew nothing about business. So uh, thank God in um, in Lausanne, where I come from, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology has put programs in place for exactly my case, where you have academics. Uh, in my case, I was a PhD student who want to push you know, an innovation to the market. And so we had a lot of coaching. So that was a nice journey. Uh, the first eye-opening moment is to stop focusing on technology and focusing on the business. Uh, so that was something to get used to. Uh, and I think that was one of the most challenging parts. And then I would say what is currently very challenging is uh, on the fundraising side, of course. Uh, I saw that it requires a lot of network. Uh, uh, you need to know the right people. And so this is something that I've been working on the past two years. So it's an ongoing journey. Great. And Yasha, you came from a different background. You came from the MBA business background. Yep. How did you adapt to sort of the dental healthcare space? Um, I think that was one of the key parts is learning about the dental industry. One of my co-founders is a dentist, but he's a normal dentist. Um, innovating, building technology is not his forte. He's not a company from a research background. Um, for me, I was always entrepreneurial. I tried a business before my MBA that failed as well, worked in tech and in an entrepreneurial environment anyway. Um, so for me, that part of it was relatively easy in terms of understanding the demand entrepreneurship faces. But I think that one of the challenges was that we fit within digital health, maybe a little bit med tech, but also digital tech. And there's a bit of clash of cultures in the approach on how you launch a business and you grow it, especially in an ecosystem from a fundraising or from stakeholders, they usually fit in one box or the other. There's not very much, although it's changing, that, that middle ground, um, is a new area that I think is still needs a lot more support and stakeholders in there. You're here, you talked, Nicholas, about sort of fundraising. It's been a difficult period. The last year or two has been really difficult uh, for, for, for fundraising. Yasher, you've you've gone through a number of rounds of fundraising. Tell us a bit about sort of how you've coped with that, because it must have been a pretty tough period. Yeah, I mean, we were initially, obviously, especially when you're doing something relatively new, like we are, are people even going to use this? Um, it took some time, but when we got some angel investors in, it was good. And then we managed to get into a Techstars program. Those that don't know, Techstars is one of the, the prestigious accelerators. It was a combination with MetLife. So we also learned the insurance space, um, which was really great. Um, we had momentum. This was in 2019. We started fundraising around Christmas time and we were going to close some money. Not a huge amount, half a million to a million. We were on track to raise that. And then COVID happened. Um, our investors, as soon as investors New York investors lined up, they were doing due diligence. New York went to lockdown, they pulled out no cash deployment for 90 days, then 880 days and so on and so forth. So we lived through that process. We lost most of our team. Um, we lost the co-founder. Um, so, so we had to go through that challenge. And it's when you're doing that, it's, do I believe in this product well enough? For me, impact is important. It's not just about building a valuable business and having an exit. It's about, is there a need that we can address in the world that's really gonna change people's lives? And people don't emphasize oral health, but it's key to good wellness and long-term quality of life. It's linked to heart disease, diabetes, premature birth in pregnant women. So it's, this is a passion as well. Uh, and it's like, can I get through this? Can I convince people to work for free if I need to? Can I convince mentors to support me? Can I convince people to make the right instructions I need to? Um, so we managed to get through that. We, we luckily had another angel from the US that gave us a bit of a spark in the summer of 2020. And we closed the million from a strategic investor in December, 2020, which kind of kept us going. And, and we started pushing and growing and building the technology. Um, but it, it is difficult. Um, 
when you're fundraising in this this kind of area um sometimes it's chicken and the egg even even traditional investors it's they want to show the traction or they want the technology to work or the regulatory pathway to be done ce marking fda but at the same time they don't want to fund that journey <laughs> so it becomes a bit tricky and, and managing it and i think you can maybe tell me from the academia standpoint a lot of med tech comes from spin outs it comes from so you get you expected to get grant funding or the university to support you we're coming from an MBA, which is, even if it wasn't without the MBA, we're taking a more startup approach, whereas let's build an MVP, let's do it ourselves, let's get private funding, let's not go for grants or we don't have university support. So I think that was what I found is people sometimes in the med tech space expected you to have reached regulatory approval by now or had the funding from grants. Yeah. And then the private investors didn't quite understand the medical device space, so you couldn't go down the traditional route. No, but I don't know if th that's exactly what happened to us. So we survived so far thanks to grants. So we have to say we're very lucky. I mean, it is still a lot of effort, but we had to go through a lot of you know, process to get grants. And that's really what brought us up to where we are. Yeah. I also hear a lot about investors who call themselves risk capital. But, you know, as you say, they <laughs> want to have a product on the market, no regulatory risk and just take the market risk. And even for us, even though we were able to raise close to 5 million, when you're developing a class three medical device that goes onto the brain, yeah. that's still not enough to yeah. get to the regulatory exactly. approval. And this is where, you know, Europe uh, is a great place. We, we found a few investors who are interested. But the problem that we also mentioned earlier is that sometimes you don't fit in a box. And in a particular for us, we're making a medical device. That's one thing. Then we're making an implantable medical device that already cuts down half of the VCs who do medical because it's more risky. Then you go into the neurospace, which is not as big as cardiology. And then we have active implantable and neuro. And so you have a very, very small niche and that makes it even harder. Yeah. So these are the types of And I think is when you're doing something like we're doing, which is quite creative, innovative, and trying to push the existing paradigms, you get a lot of platitudes, compliments. Oh, this is a great idea. You do get people that, I mean, for us, we've got our app is on the market, we're getting users. We've had a lot of users the last few months, which is great. But you sometimes need people to put the money where the mouth is. So it becomes a tricky NFU. I guess you've got a lot of potential beyond just neural issues going beyond that where tech and, and brain technology interface is huge potential. Uh, but compliments aren't enough. And sometimes you need people to come in and support you. Um, and not move the goalposts. And that does happen. And the current market, I mean, last year, if we were fundraising, it'd be much easier. There was money being spent on really bad ideas <laughs> off a pitch deck. And unfortunately, the last six months, due to the the, the inflation, the crisis in, in Russia, Ukraine, um, all of that, people have been cautious. Q1 had the largest, I think, on record fundraises from funds ever in 2022. But the last two quarters, actual investments into startups has dropped significantly. That's because they're hoarding the capital, they're waiting, wait and see. And the problem is with wait and see with technologies like ours isn't helpful at all. Yeah. Uh, we, we need sometimes that risk needs to stay in place um, and we'll see how it pans out. So it's not like it's been tough for you as a company, but for you as individuals, what, you know, how have you got through this period? You know, what, what's your advice for other people and what's been the toughest things you've had to deal with? I think you need to lean on your friends and family for mental support. There's a lot of that. You need encouragement and, and the platitudes help on the mental support. Don't get me wrong. So I, I did, I did uh, uh, complain about them, but they, they do help. Um, for us, knowing that users are downloading our app is, look, we're doing something great here. People want this product, helps us. Um, I think financially, I don't know about you, I've not taken a salary for a year. Um, more than before, then we got money, we may take a salary, then again, not taking a salary. So I've had to struggle through from savings and other ways. Um, but that is sometimes you've also, if you're asking other people to take the risk, you've got to take the risk. So you've got to put that effort in and it depends on how passionate you are. 
at some point or another, you need to have, uh, I think it's the KPI for failure for yourself personally. Mm. At what point do you say, okay, I'm done. I can't continue. Whether that's mentally, physically, because you don't have time for exercise and continue, whether it's financially, or if it's just the market just doesn't like this product. Sometimes we have blinkers on and we think this is great. Um, I've personally not reached there yet. One of, as I said, we lost one of our co-founders during COVID. Um, he, that was it for him. COVID, he wanted to settle job. He was tired of two years of startup. He wanted to go and do it. For me and my other co-founder, no, we've not reached our KPI for failure. We want to carry on. We're passionate to, to push on. So you've got to throw everything at it to it sometimes and, and see what happens. Yeah. So for me, I think the first thing you said is very important, uh, mental support from your groups of friends and, and families. And actually... It was also a way for us to kind of survive a bit more, uh, reaching out to close friends to get some cash in. Uh, my biggest fear was always about the team because I've been doing this for 13 years and I'll continue even uh, if everything goes down. But the problem is, you know, at one point I want to avoid the situation where you have to fire people and uh, and end up alone. So that's really what's worrying me the most. But uh, I think one thing we did internally in the company is try to find milestones that we can reach quicker that are maybe not very important from a business perspective, but are very important in terms of de-risking towards investors. And I think that was one of the biggest mistakes is considering only business and not what investors look at. For example, our first device does not require clinical studies in the US for FDA clearance, but every investor has this checkbox. Do you have clinical data? So we rechanged a bit the focus. Of course, it's cheaper to do a first clinical study than doing a FDA clearance. And that allowed us to, you know, work towards that goal. And I think that's also motivating, you know, psychologically for everyone, including myself to know, okay, we can reach a goal with the cash flow we have now. And I think that was something we did internally to help. Yeah. I think that is the little nuances sometimes, depending on, obviously you're more medical than we are. Yeah. Um, we're more of a wellness product initially, or we have a device we're developing that is more medical for imaging the teeth. But you have to know who you're speaking to and what they want to see. Yeah. Um, but then situations like the current market shift the goalposts. So they always want to see a little bit more. <laughs> you hit the goalpost you thought, the goal you're going to hit, yeah. but the goalpost move. Uh, but it is that I think you've got to take a bite-sized approach to it sometimes. And yeah. having a great team is important. I mean, we, we have gotten rid of, or we, we didn't replace people that maybe left us. Um, and our team's very committed and we they want to stick around. Um, and I think that's also something that we didn't, it's the team, yeah. it's not just about the co-founders, it's the team as a whole have got to be passionate and supportive um, and want to carry on doing this. Yeah. So hopefully, like I think just being here hopefully is motivating. You've been selected from lots and lots of startups from all over the world. What, what do you feel the role of a competition like this is for, for you guys? How, how important is this for you? And you know, why, why did you enter the Wish Innovation Competition? Um, I guess first was exposure. I mean, our product's on the market. So for us, it was, we've been doing private social media marketing. We've not been doing so much PR. So for us, it was, let's get exposure, let's get PR. Um, we've tested other markets, not so much Middle East, but Middle East is actually very good from a health innovation adoption, I feel. Of course, we've, we've not put our product out there yet and hopefully which helps facilitate that. But from being here in the research we've done before, places like Qatar, Kuwait, they've got slightly lower regulatory barriers or they, because they're still developing their healthcare system, they don't have the bureaucracy and challenges and politics that you face in the US, in Europe, in the EU, in the UK. Um, so my hope is that this, the exposure, we've met a few health ministers from, from particularly Africa and Middle East that can help deploy pilots here and obviously the global exposure that the people you're getting here. Um, I mean, the FIFA World Cup is the biggest event in the world and we have the president of FIFA um, Infantino here doing a talk. So that I think global exposure really helps to get in front of the right stakeholders to make our businesses a success. Yeah. 
Nicholas? Yeah, so for myself, it was definitely first uh, exposure. Um, so we have a long pathway uh, to get to, to market. But uh, for us, what we really liked about Qatar is that, you know, Switzerland, as a comparison, is, uh, you know, has a lot of good things, but they don't take risks. Uh, and I feel like countries like um, Qatar, who have to kind of, you know, innovate all the time. I think these are perfect profiles for what we have, because for us, the most difficult part also on fundraising is to find people who have the same vision as us, not a two year short time, like how we're going to make money in the next two years, but people who can see where this can go. And I feel like, you know, countries like Qatar are definitely, you know, good candidates for people who see more and who are willing to take also more risks, technologically speaking. And so that's also... I think also in healthcare, when you think about in Europe and US and Americas, the last two decades, three decades, we've been cutting costs in healthcare. We're trying to, instead of looking to expand healthcare, increase coverage, improve quality, we've been cutting costs, which put a lot of pressure on our healthcare systems. We saw that during COVID. Biggest, one of the biggest problems was we don't have enough capacity. Places like Qatar, they're not cutting costs, they're putting more money in because they want to have the highest quality healthcare. So I think it's a great playground for us to come here to refine and we're not dealing with the challenges of, they're not gonna squeeze us for every penny um, or with, with squeeze it's not about the bottom line. It's about, look, what is the, what is the outcome? And they are looking towards outcome-based healthcare. We've been talking about outcome-based healthcare for years now. But again, we've not found the right way to implement that in Europe and the US. We've tried outcome-based medical bonds and things like that, and they've still not worked. Yep. Whereas here, you, you hear the people speak and leaders speak, they're talking about outcome-based healthcare. Um, so I think maybe because it's a small country that has got a lot of financial resources um, and they've got this kind of goal to have um, care for, for the whole population, I think it's a good ground for us to, to deploy and then build. And then we go back to... Europe, where we built our technologies, and America, which is the biggest medical market, to then go out there and, and this will show the, the path forward for us. So what's your advice for people, our readers who are entering competitions? We have lots of kind of startups, entrepreneurs, innovators who are entering competitions. What would be your advice for them whenever they enter competitions like this? I think the first thing is to learn about where you're going to go and who you could potentially meet. I think it's always good to do your homework first uh, and then try to you know, make the most out of your trip. Uh, of course, you, you have so many opportunities on different fronts that you don't even think about because, of course, sometimes you only think about you know, investors, but there's so much more. First of all, you meet other great startups. Uh, you yeah. also we, we met a lot of amazing students, uh, medical professionals, uh, and it was great to get the feedback and to learn more about the local culture. So I think going with an open mind and doing your homework, I think, is the most important part of uh, uh, when you get to travel. Great. Yes, sir. Um, I, th I think one of the main things you said is meeting other startups. Sometimes it's not the obvious thing. It's not yeah. meeting these health ministers, these policymakers, and the investors. I found the same thing with my MBA. It wasn't necessarily the, the class, but all the competitions, the VC competitions, and all the network that you build. So I think that is one thing is get out there and meet other startups is very important. Um, I think the other one is be careful which competitions you apply for. We've won a couple. We've done some EIT health stuff as well. Textiles itself is a very competitive competition, particularly the one that we did. But I think you can't just apply for competitions. Winning competitions isn't going to make a successful business. Um, so I think even right from the beginning, when you're, it's time consuming as well. Uh, when you're applying for a competition, look at it and say, look, is this relevant to us? If winning this, is this going to have some value? Is it PR? Is it connection? Being at the event itself, is it going to be value to us? Um, and as, as Nicholas said, once you get into it, have a bit of a plan. Okay, who is it what I want to meet? What do I want to achieve? Um, don't just go there for three days and twiddle your thumbs because <laughs> otherwise it's a waste of time. You might as well just stay at home and, and, and try to push other areas because time and, okay, money is very, very valuable as a startup, as an innovator, but time is the other aspect to it. Um, especially CEOs, it's kind of like, you've got so many different hats on that um, you don't want to lose half a day or day. Um, you want to keep going. So I think that's also important. 
Wonderful. Um, Mahmoud, I'm going to give you the final words. Um, you know, what's your advice to entrepreneurs, innovators about applying for competitions? What would be your advice from, from running something like the Wish Innovation Competition? Uh, very good question. So to carry on to, from what Yash was saying and even Nicholas, uh, reading more and knowing more about the competition and the actual competition and who's behind this competition and what support or what can you get out of being the involvement of this, of this competition is, is a key because different uh, companies or different organizations will provide different things. Uh, we, as we, in Wish, we understood from early age that we have a huge network that we can provide to or access to a huge network in, in different fields and in, in, within the healthcare industry from professionals to academics to researchers we can fill a gap in in within the 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 health the, the startups so we can give them this access plus we start working lately with the investors so we start bringing them to doha plus also working with the local investors so yeah this is i think for me um is the key because uh, Again, as I mentioned earlier, every every company and every start competition is different. So, reading more and doing your homework is 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 actually my my one one advice when you're applying for a competition. So, lots of great advice from everybody. Um, congratulations to you both again and your success so far. And we look forward in BMJ Innovations about following your journey over the future years. So, thank you all for joining us. Thank you very thank much for having us. Thank you.